Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. All right, um, welcome everyone. I am really excited. I have another set of really amazing guests um, who are coming on the show today to talk to us all about getting into grad school as a transfer student and the importance of mentoring. So I have not one, but two guests today. And I'm gonna go ahead and get us started the way I usually do by reading their bios. We'll get started with Maritza. Maritza Jerónimo they them is a Nahua Chicanex from Guerrero, Mexico, who grew up in Anaheim, California. They are a PhD student in the UCLA Department of Geography studying indigenous food autonomy in Los Angeles. They also form a part of community spaces, including Chicana Tiawi Media Collective, Eagle Condor Liberation Front, ECLF, and Sexta Grietas del Norte. Maritza is also a gardener, herbalist, and filmmaker. Yes. Um, next up is Miriam. Miriam Santana, she, her, is a first-year grad student at UT Austin in the Department of English. She attended UCLA for undergrad majoring in English and was a McNair Scholar as well as an English Departmental Honors Scholar. Miriam was born in Mexico but grew up in California where she has spent most of her life. She is a parent, a new plant mom, and has recently taken up cycling as a hobby. Welcome to the podcast, Maritza and Miriam. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Of course. So I would love for y'all to get us started um, by telling us a little bit more about yourselves. I know that the bios, they're, they're contained, they, they only share so much. So if you can say a little bit more about yourself, your background, your trajectories. And then after that, I would love if you could just let us know about your mentor-mentee relationship, how that got started too. So um, whoever would like to get us started, the mic is, is up and open. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm happy to start. Hi, everyone. This is Maritza, and um, I am really grateful to be here. I think that when Miriam reached out, I was like, I'm, I'm down. I'm down to do it, but it would be awesome if we could be on this together <laughs> um, because I, I think our trajectories are definitely different, and, and we'll be sharing a little bit about that, but also intersect in like really important ways um, that I feel shaped you know my trajectory to grad school um, and yeah so I I went to community college out of out of high school um, really I, I do say a lot of times community college like saved my life because I feel like it was a space that I, I finally felt like okay, this is what education is supposed to feel like. Like I'm supposed to feel like folks, um, you know, want me to, to do good and, and are supportive. And that's not everyone's experience, I'm sure in community college, but it definitely was mine. 
Um, and I felt really like intellectually stimulated. I was forming community of other like non-traditional students, especially. Um, so it was really a good place for me to go. Um, and that's also, you know, where I learned about like the possibility of transferring. And so I transferred to UCLA in 2016, I think. Um, and, you know, that's, that was like a totally big shift again in my life where I didn't know what I was doing. I kind of just applied I, and I wasn't really sure if I would get in or anything. Um, but with the help of other like academic services like AAP, which is a which the which is the oh my gosh now I'm blanking on the academic <laughs> academic advancement program it's okay <laughs> we got you <laughs> yeah, thank you my UCLA fam here um, <laughs> yes AAP um, does a transfer summer program at UCLA and um, it was there that I actually had met some of my mentors um, which you know, are really, were really pivotal in my life, um, which were all my like PLFs, which are peer learning facilitators. During this summer program, they essentially guide you um, kind of like TAs, you know, um, and help you both with the work of, of, you know, doing now like UCLA level coursework, but also like emotionally. Uh, so that was like a really important part for me. And so, you know, um, it's also the first place where I met, um, like, I think my first, like, grad student of color, um, Silvia, who is now a doctor, um, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> but at the time, she was a grad student in the Chicana Chicano Studies Department. And it was, it really meant a lot for me to see somebody um, like myself from a similar background be in this um, my grad program, which again, at the time I didn't know what that meant. And we could probably talk about that more later, but <laughs> it was, it was TSP was definitely really significant for me and was a really big reason why I was able to do well at UCLA as an undergrad. Um, and I, I think I'll leave it there for now because, you know, um, Miriam and I also meet a year later, I believe, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, um, in the same summer program, but then the roles were kind of reversed because I loved my PLF so much that I ended up going back uh, to be a PLF uh, during the summer uh, transfer program again, um, because I love working with transfer students. Uh, it's a very different experience. And yeah, so TSP, and AAP really helped shape my experience um, and was also one of the places where I got to meet Miriam. So yeah, I'll hand it over to Miriam. Um. Thank you, Maritza. And uh, I, as I'm hearing you share your, your experience in navigating uh, community college and UCLA, I'm kind of thinking, well, where does my story start? And I can start all the way back, but uh, I think what I didn't share in my bio was that I am 32. And uh, my age for me is really important because I, after high school, wanted to pursue uh, higher education, but at the time was undocumented. 
And it was in 2007 when I graduated and there was a lot of fear at the time for me in sharing that I was undocumented. And so what that meant was that I didn't meet with counselors. I didn't share my interest in higher education with any of my teachers. And uh, even mobility was for me difficult because I couldn't ask my parents to drive me to these SAT workshops. One, because of funding, I didn't have the money for it. Uh, and two, I didn't want to ask my parents to spend money on, on that because I knew that finances were already tight. And then three, I knew that driving posed a huge risk because my parents didn't have a California driver's license at the time. So I was, I was 15 in high school, already hyper aware of uh, the limitations that my, at the time, undocumented status um, had. And then I also found that my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer during high school. And for me at the time being undocumented, it just didn't make sense for me to continue pursuing school when I saw that half of our family's income was lost. And so I, after high school, decided to work. And I worked two jobs for quite a while until fast forward, I am pregnant and I find that my life completely shifts. My priorities shift, I'm 22. And I, I am thinking now about the future in ways that I never was before. And that's when I make the decision to pursue community college. And at the age of 22, I was already able to access my legal status. And so for me, I thought as an ode to my family and, and what they've done, it wouldn't make sense for me not to pursue school where now I was able to access financial aid in ways that I wasn't before. And so I start community college and I take a course in Chicano Chicano studies only because I was too nervous to meet with a counselor. And so I just downloaded the course listings and circled with a pencil the only course that I thought could be of interest to me. And it was the best decision I could have made. But I think that looking back now, I just I just realized how much I didn't know and how OK that was because of mentorship. So I walk into this course class and I see for the first time ever a professor who looks like me and a professor who speaking Spanish in a Chicano, Chicano studies course. And so I kind of sit in the back and quiet. I feel hyper visible because I, I can clearly tell that I was one of the older ones in, in the classroom. And so very timid, just kind of kept to myself. And I took my midterm and I read and I studied and, and it was the professor who actually asked me to meet with him during office hours. I didn't even know how office hours worked. Um, and so he asked me to meet with him during office hours and he said, you, know, you did a fantastic job. And uh, I, I want to ask you about um, you, whether you're interested in transferring. And so he was the one that started that conversation and continued, took it upon himself to advise me. And I, at the time, so hungry for mentorship because I had never experienced that in high school in a, in a way that I, I now realize was just a bit strange, like obsessively uh, felt myself attached to this professor because I was so hungry for answers to questions that I never felt comfortable to ask anyone else. And so I attended office hours often and at my community college, they offered opportunities for transfer for community college students to visit UCLA and participate in this kind of mentor-mentee relationship with current UCLA undergraduate students from community college as well. And so that was my first experience with mentorship. And it was very much informed by that professor guiding me and telling me it's important for you to build community. It's important for you to 
occupy these spaces, even if you feel scared, even if you don't know what's going on. And I remember the first time I visited UCLA campus for this event, and I didn't even, I was even, I didn't even know how to get to UCLA. I didn't, the physical space of UCLA was so intimidating to the point that when I drove up that hill, the UCLA hill, I seriously contemplated turning back. And I called my sister and she said, no, you're, you're going to go there. You asked for the day off, so you're going. And so I missed work to go to that event. And it was life-changing because that's when, similar to what Marisa is saying, I had the opportunity to meet people and at a large scale, there were so many people of color, so many mujeres. There were children who were attending that event. And I just thought, I didn't even know I can bring my son here. Uh, and, and so that to me was my first, I think, contact with mentorship at that kind of scale. And similar to Maritza, when I uh, applied to transfer and I was admitted to UCLA, that same professor also encouraged me to seek resources uh, that UCLA was offering. And that's when I applied to the <clears throat> transfer summer program, which serves, I think, for me as a kind of bridging between the academic transition from community college to UCLA, not in the sense that community college didn't prepare me, but in the sense that at community college, I didn't have exposure to research in the way that UCLA ha offers an exposure to research. And so it was in that summer program in an English course that I meet Maritza and I meet Maritza as our peer learning facilitator and very much in the same way that I kind of clinged on to that professor at community college. I did the same thing with Maritza and now looking at it, I realize how selfish that was on my part because Maritza was often showing up early, uh, meeting with me, working around my schedule to offer guidance and mentorship. And uh, out of that, Maritza encouraged me to also apply then the following year to work as a peer learning facilitator to kind of have the opportunity to be in that position that Maritza was. And it wasn't until that point that I realized how uh, emotionally laborious it can be sometimes to, to mentor. And I think that experience and now me being in a position where I was able to offer support and resources and mentorship that I realized how important that relationship is. And so I applied, thanks to Maritza, to the McNair Scholars Program, to the Mellon uh, Program, and uh, started reaching out to other graduate students, to other people who had experience with research at UCLA, and did the same thing that I did with Maritza and the professor. In, in a weird way, I kind of clinged on and just trusted everything that they told me. I wasn't critical in, in any way at the time because I, I just wanted guidance. And so I think for me, uh, it helped that I there's so much that I was coming into this experience, this mentorship relationship with so much openness, and it continued and it still continues now. Where now I'm a first year graduate student in the Department of English, and I take a very similar approach, not in the way that I cling on. <laughs> I learned a lot from that, but in the in the sense that I I understand the importance of mentorship in me receiving it, but also me doing the work of also um, offering it in the best way that I can. And that's why I really wanted to come today to share my experience and hope that it can help someone um, in any way. I think that that's where I'll leave off. I just want to like give a little aside to that. I um, didn't do TSP. I did FSP when I was an undergrad, but I taught as the English instructor for TSP a few years while I was a grad student and absolutely loved it. <laughs> so I'm not surprised that there's this connection of TSP 
and getting support from the amazing PLFs in that program. I know I couldn't have done what I did like without the support of my PLF too. So anyway, shout out, shout out to that program. <laughs> so um, now I'm curious, like, I would love to hear more about, about your, yours. I don't even know what you call it. That I want, I want to call it a birth story. It's not a birth story, but how you two came together. <laughs> I guess it is a kind of birth story. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I want to hear about you, how you two came together. And hopefully that can transition us into talking a little bit more about, you know, the, the importance of the unique experience of getting into grad school as a transfer student, because that's, they're very different kind of obstacles. Um, that that you have to face when you are a transfer student and you're trying to go to grad school especially if you're going straight in it feels like you have no time so okay let's have y'all tell us a little bit more how did you two meet <laughs> yeah I I think hearing Miriam reflect kind of brought me back into that moment and it took some maneuvering and I think like the universe to to bring us to that moment because originally I wasn't supposed to PLF for that class um so the other this other PLF was like hey would you mind switching classes with me uh because I actually want to work with this other professor um for you know his own networks and stuff and I was like yeah like I don't care I don't know any of these people I just you know I just want to be here I want to do this work and um and so I I get assigned to the English class um and I was so excited uh to be able to work for English you work with students one-on-one -on -one. and so it is a little bit more like it turned out to be a lot more like um emotionally uh emotional labor um on one part because you know when you're one-on-one -on -one with students like they tend to open up not just about i'm struggling with writing but it's like oh i'm struggling with the dynamics i miss my family um my roommate situation can be rough and all of the many you know different challenges of being new to a campus um so i experienced a lot of deep relationship making that summer um, and I I remember every single person <laughs> from our class um, it was a really great group of students and and some things that were also a little bit traumatic but you know I think that also helped kind of bond some students more over the summer um, and so yeah one of the students that I got to meet was Miriam who was you know really like I just I remember you Miriam being very nervous about like you know your your abilities um and like being at the UC and what that meant but then in the classroom and then you're writing I would see like somebody so amazing and I was like dang like like I wish they could see from my eyes right and I think that that's kind of like how I view mentorship is like how do we get to see each other and become like these reflections of each other? Because I definitely didn't feel, um, you know, equipped when I when I transferred. <laughs> I felt very much similarly. Um, imposter syndrome, very strong. Um, and because I, you know, first gen come from like a poor working class community and um, 
so I felt all of those things. And then to see Miriam feel similarly, but also then shine like to me in the classroom, I was like, okay, like there's a lot um, that I want to share with this person. Um, and, you know, you said that you were, you were clinging on to me, but I also was like, I when when someone wants to commit and do that work of trusting, right? You you mentioned trust, and I really resonated with that because I was like, dang, like you trusted me, and I also trusted you. Like it's this really reciprocal process because I was like, okay, like Miriam wants to take the time to sit with me to to learn about grad school. Like, uh, you know, for some transfers, they're not there yet, like because they're not thinking about that future goal. Um, they're just thinking about, you know, the very present. But with you, you were like, oh, I want to do research, or maybe I don't know if I want to do research. And I was like, so excited to talk about that, because um, it, it takes a lot of commitment to, to do this grad school. <laughs> um, and like, you know, the trajectory to get there, which we'll talk about in a bit. But um, it is a very, like, intensive process. And um, just from the moment that I met you, you had so many questions and I was like, cool, like, you know, someone really wants to, to take this on. And um, I was really fortunate to have had, you know, two really good friends the year before, uh, Gustavo and Natalia, which I think, you know, Yvette, like- Yeah, Gustanati. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> they guided me and um, really spent that time with me and, and showed me how to be a mentor, honestly, like, um and so I wanted to keep passing that on and so yeah I was so excited to meet Miriam and it was cool to you know be also um learning from you because I learned so much from you Miriam like and I you know that summer was a lot for for TSP is really intensive but then as our years went on just like being able to get coffee and just see each other on campus um, in, you know, a place that is really predominantly white. Um, it was just nice to, <laughs> to see you. So I think, yeah, I'm just thinking about, about those things right now. I don't know how you remember. Um, yeah. I'll let you, Miriam, um, share a little bit more about what you remember. And then I also want, would love to hear more about, like, at what point do you realize that this is a mentor-mentee relationship? Because you had a lot of students, Marita, so... <laughs> I mean, they could have all been coming to you with the same kind of like, you know, persistence and, and, and hunger that, that I'm sure Miriam had. So yeah, what, what's, what's your side of the story? <laughs> what's your take, Miriam? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it echoes a lot of what Marisa is saying. And, uh, but I think what I, what I took from that is that I, I knew from the beginning, I, I think for me coming in, Maritza uh, felt a little strange when I would think of her as my mentor or femtor because uh, I think of, because of the age. And so I remember um, she always made it a point or Maritza always made it a point to tell me, no, you know, this is a dialogue and we're just because I've been here at UCLA longer doesn't mean there's an existing hierarchy. And I rejected Maritza saying that because I knew that Maritza had so much knowledge and experience at UCLA that for me, it wasn't a, a feeling of inferiority, but for me, it was a feeling of respect of this person has gone through and these experiences know so much 
and is going out of their way to share some of that with me. And I think that for me is so important and, and why I'm so committed to sharing my experience so openly is because that doesn't always exist in academia. You know, there are uh, moments in which I've been encouraged to keep information because I might be competing with this person for that program. And I think that's why mentorship is so important because the professor at community college is still my one of my biggest mentors. And I remember uh, that, you know, it's really important, I think, to, to understand where you stand in relation to that, how that relationship is going to work. And so for Maritza, I was always approaching it from a, from a stance of respect and always wanting to also honor, honor Maritza's time. And none of this was compensated. So I, the, the moment I knew it really turned into like this mentor-mentee relationship was when I shared that I was interested in pursuing research uh, just because I wanted to give it a shot, not really thinking I could even get into any of these programs. And especially when I find that, you know, there's such a small cohort that gets admitted or selected to these programs. And I thought, I don't even know how you do research in English. My only understanding of research is people in a lab coat. Uh, that's That was my extent of knowledge. And so none of that translated. And I remember my community college professor said, well, you know, you might not have the financial means to compensate Maritza for the time, but after the course ends, and this is something that you want to put into practice moving forward with any relationship you build, is you you come in from a place of gratitude and a place of respect for their time. And so I remember I didn't have the money to offer or compensate Maritza for for um, the time. And so I remember I, I asked if I can if I can uh, treat Maritza to a coffee. And I remember we met for coffee and I showed up with my notebook and my questions, my agenda. And that's another thing too, is one way I think that you can show the person who's offering mentorship a way of like respecting their time is to come in with an agenda. I've always done that. And it's the best thing I think that um, I've found uh, separates, um, I think how you're perceived sometimes is that you're coming in with, with a plan, with questions, even if you don't know exactly what the plan is, just come in with questions, come in with a plan, because what you don't want to happen is that sometimes it'll turn into a two hour discussion, but it's a two hour discussion that could have probably been 30 minutes. And now, um, you know, this person who's offering their time is now backed up with their own schedule. And we know that women of color in general are sometimes just very busy and limited in time. And so for me, it was very important to always come in with an agenda. And I think that's the moment I realized that it was it was that. And even today, even today, I, I know that we're friends and we're tight. I still have so much honor, so much respect for Maritza. And I still see Maritza as as uh, my, my like advisor, like unofficial academic advisor. When I applied to graduate school, I sent my my draft of my statement of purpose to Maritza because even though I had support from professors at UCLA, this was my imposter syndrome working. I was too nervous to show any of my drafts to my professors because I worried that in them reading my drafts, they would then realize, oh, my perception of Miriam is, is actually inaccurate. She's actually not as smart as, as I thought she was. And so I remember sending my drafts, my ugly drafts, to Maritza and to other people first um, before I, I had it go to to my advisors. And that was just my strategy in terms of mentorship. But I also now realize that it's actually really important to send your ugly drafts 
to professors uh, and, and of course professors who you feel comfortable with and that's something maybe we can talk about more in terms of mentorship relationship with uh, professors who might be writing your letters of recommendation or professors who you are hoping to become your uh, advisors at programs you're, you're considering applying to. I just want to add kind of like uh, to answer your question too with, you know, when did you know this was a mentor-mentee relationship and what, you know, something Miriam was talking about um, is that in academia, we're often taught to like gatekeep knowledge and, and I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> like my brain is physically exploding from so much, so many things that other people have shared with me and I need to tell somebody, you know, like, um, and so that's kind of like, I, I feel like I, I do try my best to, to always invite people like, Hey, like, if you do want to, you know, do talk about grad school or talk about McNair or Mellon and the process of applying, I, I, I did my best to put it out there for everybody, but not everybody um, is in that mindset yet or is in like, you know, the right place to do that kind of work yet. And so there was definitely a few folks that, that did reach out, um, but yeah, I think Miriam was honestly the most consistent person like who kept following up and who um, who I also, you know, it, it's not like that I was selective, but I was also like, yeah, I had a lot of things to do that year. And I was like, this person um, is, is someone that I see one like is going to do amazing. Like I already knew, like, and I was so excited to work with Miriam's like project ideas um and so yeah I think you know that relationship started really like with Miriam following up and I always would tell Miriam like please like it's not a bother like just message me a couple times because I forget <laughs> I was like I am the most forgetful person and I was like please just like be be persistent um and you know she did that and so because you know of that also I really appreciated um, the follow-up and being able to build this relationship, friendship. And at one point we also worked together TSP as colleagues. So, um, and now we're in grad school together. Um, so I, I was really thinking about that too. When, when, we, when you reached out about this Miriam, I was like, hmm, how does our mentor-mentee relationship evolve to, um, and maybe that's like a future question. Oh my gosh, that's that's a topic <laughs> in and of itself of the relationship evolving because over time, maybe it starts off as student and and PLF or professor TA, and then it becomes mentor mentee, and then at some point it becomes friends <laughs> and and more, you know, <laughs> like platonic soulmates, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Um, so anyway, sorry, I just got excited there and kind of went um, off on a, on a tangent a little bit. But yeah, um, it's so interesting to hear about that because I've always wondered as an introvert how other people have found mentors and femtors because I struggled so hard with that when I was an undergrad. I was not persistent. I always felt like I was wasting people's time. Um, and maybe it was because 
I wasn't a transfer student and the transfer students that I have had the privilege to work with have been hungry, uh, don't want to waste their time. You know, they, they, they know what they want to do and they go after it and they're not afraid of asking questions. And maybe it's also part of being non-traditional um, and feeling like, you know, hey, I, I need to ask these questions to learn what other people already know that are half my age already know. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so I, I would love to just hear a little bit more about the transfer experience. You know, that's, that's one of the ways that both of you can relate. Um, and, you know, if there's a there, there are transfer students listening to the podcast now and they're kind of struggling to seek, you know, and find mentors and femtors. Maybe they're interested in grad school. You know, what is, what is that process like? What kind of, you know, advice do you have for them? I, I've been thinking a lot about the topic of getting into graduate school specifically as a transfer. And I think for me, uh, the, the mentorship I received in community college was instrumental. And I did attend community college right after high school. I only took one course. So I have something to compare. At that time, I didn't have any mentorship. I was just navigating community college, uh, not even meeting with a counselor, not knowing. I even uh, failed a class because I didn't realize that you have to drop a class. Also, uh, I remember that professor at community college who asked me, okay, so are you applying to, to transfer? And I remember in my mind thinking, yes, I'm, I'm gonna apply. And then he said, okay, because the application is due in the next couple of months. And I remember thinking, oh no, no, but I don't wanna go to, to I don't wanna transfer until next year. And he said, you don't know that you have to apply to transfer a whole year before. That to me, and. I would have, I, I could say I felt embarrassed, but I didn't because I felt safe. But that's to the, that, that's the extent that, of knowledge I had about the transfer process. And so I think that uh, when thinking about getting into graduate school as a transfer, there's the experience of being in community college, but there are opportunities, I think, depending on the community college you go to, or for example, just this podcast as a form of mentorship. Um, and so, for example, if you're listening to this and you're not going to UCLA and you're thinking, well, my college doesn't offer research re resources or UCLA is not a, pro a university that I'm actually going to be applying to, how can I tap in to mentorship if I'm not in these spaces? And I think that for me, a form of mentorship was this podcast and it still is because I remember um, being told, oh, it's important to reach out to faculty in the departments you want to apply to. I thought, yeah, okay but how, how do I do this? I remember sitting down on my couch and knowing that I had to quote unquote, like reach out to faculty at these programs. And instead I decided to just get on YouTube because I was kind of paralyzed because I didn't even feel confident in writing an email to these professors. And so then sure enough, it was just like the universe knew when to bring in your episode on a template on how to reach out to faculty. And I remember there were times where I didn't even want to work on my graduate applications. It just, I just didn't feel it. I didn't feel, and Marita knows this is something that I've struggled with and I still do. And it, and, and despite, you know, getting into McNair and, and I, I've shared this with Marita and, and you, but I applied to 12 programs and I was admitted to 11. And when I say that so many people, you know, congratulate me and it's, it's, wow, that's so amazing. And I thought, well, surely once I had, attain all of these achievements and accolades, the imposter syndrome is going to go away. 
And now, years later, I realize actually it hasn't gone away because now I have all of these achievements on my, let's say, CV or resume, and it actually further intimidates me because now I have to really keep up with making sure that I am as smart as my CV says I am. And so that's that's to say that for me, the imposter syndrome hasn't gone away, but the way I've been able to navigate to stay in academia in a way that hasn't been detrimental to my health, uh, that's not to say I didn't have hiccups and, and challenges, but it's always been in meeting and building relationships with people that I trust, who I can come to and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I wanna quit. Or I remember there were times when I didn't want to work on my graduate applications and I thought, well, if I if I take a nap, I'm not going to be able to nap because the entire time I'm going to be thinking about all the things on my to do list I have to do. So I have to find something that I'm able to do that makes me feel productive. It makes me feel like I'm chipping away at this grad app. And so what I would do is I would clean or sometimes my son was uh, he'd be on his phone and I was folding laundry. And I thought, well, I'll feel productive if I listen to Dr. Yvette's episode. And then I would listen to the episode and then I'd walk away from the episode and say, okay, let me just get 20 minutes of just writing, just free write, no, stakes are low, just get it out there. And then I'd start writing and then I'd, I'd immediately get into this kind of mode. And it, it, I think for me, your podcast was instrumental in helping me stay with, with it because there were so many moments where I didn't want to work on it. And I think your podcast really helped by listening to other people's experiences and how they navigate. Um, health is huge. Exercising, I remember, I think it was Moxie, Moxie Mara. There's someone you had. Who yeah, Mara, Mara Lopez. Doctora Mara oh, Lopez. Right. just I, defended I, her dissertation. Yes. Sorry, I just had to shout her out because <laughs> felicidades to her. <laughs> I remember that podcast. There, there are certain podcasts that really resonate with me, and that's part of the reason why I also got into um, pursuing cycling um, because I didn't think about my health. I, so much of it was, oh, the hustle, the hustle, the hustle, and uh, I completely uh, lost focus of my own health, my own mental health as well. And so uh, I think that in terms of thinking about getting into grad school as a transfer, there's so many things I can list of like, oh, this could be your to-do list because this was my to-do list. And so we can talk about that, but I think that's also um, like, who do you feel comfortable enough to share your to-do list to, who do you trust enough to the point where you know that the advice they're giving you is well-intended um, as well? Because I did receive advice when I was applying to these graduate programs and was encouraged to keep certain information. And, and I'll share this really quick story is that I was applying to, to Berkeley and a friend uh suggest uh, mentioned that they were also interested in applying and and they were going to apply to a different program and i said you know what based on what you've researched it sounds like you would do really well in english and this friend said well why are you telling me english if that's the program you're applying to surely we're going to be competing against each other and in my gut a, a fear started and i remember i reached out to the professor from community college and i said i know this is wrong and yet I'm feeling this way. And the professor sat with me and met with me and said, look, it's not about you two being in competition with each other. It's about, it's a win no matter who gets in. And I think that was the moment I shared everything. I even introduced this person to my advisor um, and, and we exchanged materials. I think the, the sign for me was when we both applied and we both received news that we were both admitted to Berkeley. 
And I thought, what are the chances of two people from UCLA, from the same department, transfer students getting in to a super competitive program? It can't be a coincidence. It can't be a mistake. And from then on, I realized I'm going to share my story and my resources and any access that I have with anyone because I think it's important that all of us have access to getting in. You know what? That is so valuable and so true. And you you actually never really know because I have a very similar story being a grad student, having a writing partner from my writing group. We were both humanities PhD students applying to the Ford Dissertation Fellowship, helping each other out out of the kindness of our own heart and friendship. And then applying, not thinking, oh, like I'm in competition with her. She's in competition with me. And then guess what? We both freaking got the Ford and we're like, what, what are the odds? Like, you know, two humanities PhD students at UCLA getting it the same year. And it was just like, that's, if we, if I had had that competitor mentality, I would have hid my drafts from her and vice versa. We wouldn't have helped each other out and maybe we wouldn't have gotten them. So sorry, I just had to have that like aside because you just reminded me of that and it's so true there's there can be a lot of competition in grad school and quite frankly I don't think it serves us especially as students of color especially as like you know if you're non-traditional the more underrepresented the more oppressed etc you are like you gotta help each other out instead of like tearing ourselves down yeah but I'll let you um share a little bit more Marita too about you know what it's been like kind of navigating getting into grad school and, and being in grad school um, as someone who was a transfer student. Yeah, y'all are definitely, um, you know, I'm realizing like the, at least the circles that I've been able to learn from and surround myself with, um, everyone is in this like practice of sharing um, and like they've made that really clear and that commitment to to our communities, even if they don't know us. Like, um, so yeah, I've always seen folks help each other through those cycles of applying to grad school, doing funding apps together. And like, then they usually like, majority of their group gets into grad school or gets the funding. So it's, there's definitely something there that I don't think folks have all folks have tapped into, but within like these circles of people of color in grad school, um, yeah, the practice is really, really foundational and I keep doing it, right? Like, unfortunately, one thing to know is that once you start this path, like it's an ongoing process of applying to things. And so this feeling, right, like of imposter syndrome can keep coming up during those times for sure. Um, but I do think like, you know, as a transfer student in undergrad, um, I did feel like a certain drive that I had, both motivated by the university's timeline that gets imposed on us, right? As transfer students, we're only allowed to really be there for two years. <laughs> um, and within those two years, somehow figure out what is grad school? What do I wanna research and what is research? Um, and then reaching out to professors, right? And so that's really hard um, to do in two years. Um, and so honestly, like mentorship is what helped me figure out like the, the tricks 
and what to do, the movidas, as a lot of Chicanas um, have taught me, right, <laughs> is, is the movidas that I needed to do. And one of those was to stay an extra year um, as a transfer student. And so this was also something that I am very, very happy to share with, with folks listening, right? As a transfer student, advocate for yourself. And, and if you can, um, try to stay that third year because it was, for me, the game changer. Like, it is honestly the reason why I am in grad school, because I was able to slow down, um, you know, and not feel rushed to take, to finish my classes, to take that whole extra year that I, that I stayed to slowly apply to grad school. Because you do have to apply one year in advance, as Miriam mentioned. Um, so I was able to take that year to really focus on my grad apps and not feel overwhelmed. Um, and so that was something that I recommend. And I think I even recommended to you, Miriam, Miriam, you stayed a third year, right? <laughs> I stayed a third year because of your advice. Um, and, and there's so much pressure. I mean, the, the thing about sometimes applying and getting into research programs or even the, the kind of environment that at the time UCLA was presenting was that you have to, and they always say this, like hit the ground running. And I'll, I'll never forget that. And I remember thinking, oh, that actually imposes so much pressure on me. And then I remember another one of my PLFs said, uh, I, I don't like it when people say that because we've been our entire life, we've been hitting the ground running. And so when my peer learning facilitator told me that it just completely re like it reoriented me to think about, well, this is the journey and timeline that UCLA culture environment is giving me, but this is not my timeline. It's not my timeline. I was very nervous about taking a gap year like not being at UCLA because I know myself enough to know that if I, I stop working, I can lose motivation, I could lose my momentum. And so for me, it was important to take the advice that Maritza shared in thinking it is okay to so have your timeline and to ask yourself, why are you making, like, what is, what are the external voices that are informing your decision? And this is also something when, that I, I took to heart when making the decision of what program I'm going to actually go to. And I had the awesome experience of having multiple choices, but also with having those multiple choices meant I need to take seriously every single choice. And as a parent, as a, a daughter, and you know, for me, everyone thought, well, the safe choice is, U is USC because it's, you don't have to move or shift anything in your family. And I have a partner and I have a family. And why would you even consider going to, to Berkeley or to Illinois or to Texas? And yet that was actually the decision I made is, no, I'm actually going to, to go to Texas, not because of the pressure of, as an academic, you need to be mobile. But for me, it was a decision that just felt right for me. The program, the funding, the support, the people, the mentorship, all of those things checked out. That's not to say that it's a perfect situation, but that's to say that uh, I think that taking that third year was instrumental because I knew in my gut, if I applied the year before just to apply or to satisfy what other people were encouraging me to, I, 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 it just didn't feel right. And for me, it was important to go at my pace. And that's hard because at someone that's 32 years old, there's a pressure I've imposed on myself where I realize, well, if I'm going to finish this program in six years, I'm going to be 38 by the time I get my PhD. And that to me comes with a lot of fear, but now I'm learning to realize, well, 
you know, God willing, I arrive at 38, I'm going to arrive there no matter what, like, I'm eventually going to get there. What is it? Where do I want to be at that age? You know, and I think that for me, age has been a challenge age being a parent in academia and navigating also the kind of cultural expectations on my end of why are you breaking up the family? Why are you separating and, and making so much ruckus when you had the option of USC? And so um, that's something we could also talk about, but um, I'll go ahead and, and leave it at that for now. Just to add one more thing about that, that topic of like staying an extra year, because it's advice that I would often give to transfer students as, as well, is, you know, if, if you were coming to me, Miriam saying, oh my goodness, but I am X years old and I don't have time, la da da da. I remember sometimes telling, telling students like, you might actually be saving time and money by staying an extra year. Why? Because staying an extra year allows you to gain the, the experience necessary to be able to apply to competitive programs to go straight into a PhD program. Instead of having to get a master's degree first, get a bunch of loans to complete that master's degree, then take two extra years to get it and then start all over with the PhD. So all of a sudden you're, you know, six figures in debt, two years kind of have passed and you're just starting the PhD. This is assuming you want to get a PhD. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's so interesting to hear um, from your perspective, kind of like the lived experience of like the, the benefits of getting, of staying an extra year. Cause I know it's often discouraged, but um, that was something that I would see time and time again was so, like you said, uh, Maritza, a game changer for folks. Cause I agree it's, it's not sustainable to tell students to come in and hit the ground running. That's just, that's not okay. Like there's only, so much that you can do in the two years. And really it's one year if you're a transfer student, if you're applying to grad school while you're still a student. So no, one year for me, it's just like, there's only so much you can do. We're getting close to time. So I wanna um, just ask you all one last question. If, if there's any other things you wanted to share, a takeaway, final message, and also along with that, if folks resonate with what you said, want to connect in some way, shape, or form, how can they be in touch? Any final words? And if not, then how can folks reach out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think just one last thought that I really was sitting with is, I know that there's some research out there because I saw this article out there <laughs> in the world, um, you know, that talks about transfer students um, actually going to grad school more um, than uh, freshmen who come straight from high school, right? And so there's there's clearly like um, this this pipeline. I don't know. There's probably a better word for that, um, but there's this promise of a lot of folks, transfer folks going to grad school. And I saw this with a lot of TSP um, students even going to get their MAs. Like most of the folks that I went to TSP with went on to get their MAs or, or in PhD programs. And so it's really cool to see that kind of community that we have created that supports each other um, in this process. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to just leave that message with folks. You know, if you're a transfer student, that is currently in community college or that is already in um, undergrad at a, at a UC or Cal State or wherever you are, um, you know, know that, that we do have a really big presence in grad school. Um, 
it could definitely be better and we could be more visible, but, but we're there. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to say was that Miriam and I are both in um, traditionally and historically white departments and fields. And so that is in itself a whole other conversation of what that feels like, because as, again, like as a transfer student, you know, I always saw myself as like, like I was like, cool, like I have this community, I have this potential and this drive. And then my first year of my, I think it was my first year of the program. It was really funny. Uh, I'm in geography at UCLA. I'm in a master's PhD program. So I, I just wrapped up my master's pretty much. Um, so I'm going on to the PhD part now. Um, and it was a real trip for me because that first year, one, one of the professors, uh, tenured professors says a comment about the undergrads or MTAing. And um, she says a comment about the undergrad that is a transfer. And she's like, oh, like transfer is always right. Like, like you can tell that they're transfers because of the way that they write. And I was like, really interesting that you say that because I'm a transfer student. And right, and right away she flips and she's like, oh, I would have never thought you were a transfer student based on your writing. And I was like, what the heck? <laughs> like this- That makes it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> right, and I was like, my whole time in undergrad, I had not really experienced these kind of comments because I was surrounded by a community that that appreciated and cared for transfer students, students of color, right? And all of a sudden I'm thrown into a, a white department and my whole world changes. And so that's a story for another time, but I wanted to share that because unfortunately we will still be stigmatized in, in you know, higher ed and in grad school. Um, and but we also learn like, you know, to, to combat that. And I, I, you know, reached out to my community and, and talked through that, but I wanted to share those two things because those are some of the, the realities of being a grad student that's also a transfer. Um, but yeah, other than that, you can definitely reach out to me um, through my email, which um, is mgeronimo1 at ucla.edu. Uh, you can also find me on the grad student website on geography. My email is there or on Twitter. Academic Twitter is pretty fun. So you could follow me there too. Thank you, Maritza. What about you, Miriam? I think I have a whole long list, but I won't get into it. I think the, one of the biggest takeaways would just be, or advice I could give is that I journaled every, almost every day, at least once a week. Um, because for me, it was important to have a mini archive of this experience because I knew I'm going to give grad school a shot and I'm, I want to I want to be able to look back and see what my what 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 Miriam was thinking about the day that she had to submit the very last application or, um, you know, what was her like, pro, like mental process when uh, finding that uh, one of her advisors told her to hold on to this information and I'll share it with others. And so I thought I would always be referencing it back, but now I'm, go I'm about to complete my first semester of graduate school and I still haven't opened a journal because there's so much pain within that journal that I haven't felt the courage to open up and make available to myself yet. And that's another thing too, is that for anyone uh, in the process right now of applying to graduate school, I didn't realize how 
I was so busy that I didn't even allow myself time to process these emotions. I thought, I, I don't even have time to process any of this because I have these things that I need to do. And so one of the, the things I would encourage is journal and write down your ideas, write down your thoughts. And, uh, and if you can, try to give yourself some time to process these things because now from the, you know, from these months that have passed, it's, I'm actually going almost on a year. There's so much advice I would give to that Miriam. And one of the biggest thing is just be gentle with yourself. You know, there's so much pressure that I put on myself that I was holding on to that I remember the day I submitted my very last, no, the day I committed to the program I committed. That's a whole nother story, but 24 hours before I committed to the program I committed to, I had already announced to everyone in my family that I was actually going to this other program. And so there's a whole long story there, but I didn't, I didn't realize how much of that was just so within me restricted that the day I committed to the program, uh, I actually shaved my head. <laughs> I shaved all my hair off and I realized that it was, it was an act uh, that at the time for me was a pivotal point because I thought it was going to be meet Miriam's having a mental breakdown. And instead, as I, as I was shaving my head, I realized, gosh, this is so liberating. I felt like I was just releasing so much that I didn't allow myself to release. So in terms of advice, I would say, if you can document your experience, even if it means recording yourself and having that video is an, is an, an archive of in YouTube. So I think, you know, just so you can either go back to it or know that you have access to those experiences. And another thing too is uh, get started. I know that sometimes it can feel so paralyzing not to get not, the idea of, gosh, there's so much I have to do. But I would say if, if you feel paralyzed and you haven't gotten started or you feel like you're not at the point where you want to be, I would say one of the best things you could do is just start listening to these podcasts Start listening to to them enough to the point of giving yourself small tasks, because if you think about it as a big picture, it is overwhelming. Even now, thinking about me getting a PhD is overwhelming. So I've learned to kind of break it down into into parts, and uh, also that mentorship varies. So, for example, Maritza, I come to Maritza for certain things, but there are also other people who are parents who I can relate with in in that sense who i reach out to so i would say don't feel pressure to have or find that advisor who's going to be the end all be all because i have a huge community of people that i reach out to and it's great if you do have that one person that is the end all be all but don't feel pressure to find that person necessarily because you will find mentorship in an academic spaces but even outside of academic spaces too so um yeah i'll leave it at that like that applies in all of our relationships too <laughs> it's like you know it's like there's no one person that does everything for you, you gotta find we need community we, we don't just need self-care we need community care that's actually you know something that I was reminded uh, by another you know friend of mine who is going to come on the podcast soon to to talk about her experience being undocumented and then becoming the director of an undocumented student center and then retiring from student affairs at 33 and so on so Anyway, thank you. Oh, Miriam, did you say how folks can connect you? I just realized, wait, did you, yes. <laughs> did you share uh, that? My email is msantana at utexas.edu. 
and uh, feel free to reach out. I know that, you know, for anyone that has any questions, if any of this resonated with you, please don't worry about how you structure that email, what you say. It can just be, hey, I heard you on the podcast. I have questions, period, respectfully, <laughs> X. <laughs> and I'd be more than happy to share my experience with anyone. And for folks who, who get to watch this on YouTube, shout out to the short-haired folks. <laughs> The three of us rocking our short hair. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me in the Grad School Femme Drawing Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or email me your review at gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com. You can also show your support by going to gradschoolfemtouring.com and joining my mailing list where you'll receive weekly tips, podcast and blog updates, as well as discounts for my digital downloads, online courses, and much more. One last thing. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Until next time. <laughs>